Ever get a case of the can't help it? Amen. You know what that is, don't you? Just can't help but praise him for all that he's done. And uh, I had a good friend of mine, he said, he said this, he said, you know, he said, when God speaks to your heart and you feel praise bubbling up in your soul, he said, don't swallow that amen or that praise the Lord. He said, it'll give you indigestion. Amen. Don't, don't swallow it. Let it out. And uh, amen. Anybody that can root for the Yankees can praise the Lord. Amen. I hadn't said anything about the Yankees all week long. I said, well, I better get it in tonight. Amen. But our God is great. If the gods of this world receive praise, then certainly the God who created the world ought to receive praise. He's not a little G God. He's the almighty God. He's the creator God. And... Um, and I believe he's worthy of our praise. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. You know what that means? We owe him something. If there's something due, then that means we owe him something. We, we owe him glory and honor and praise. You say, well, I praise God in my heart. That's not possible. Because praise is defined as the fruit of your lips. Amen. And worship happens in the heart. It comes out as praise. So he is a great God, and he's been good to us this week, and he's, he's good to us each and every day. But he has blessed us in these days. Just uh, I believe he's met with us in these days. And that's what we prayed for. We started off and looking at how the Lord, it was noise that the Lord was in the house. And we've been praying that the Lord would be in the house. And, and not just here as an observer, but here as the Lord. And as, uh, as the master of this place and of our hearts. And uh, so I want to thank the Lord, first of all. And then I want to thank uh, Pastor Legault. Thank you for allowing us to be back here. And it really is, it's, it's a highlight. Uh, since really the first time we came, we just stopped in on a midweek service. And, uh, and Pastor Kenny had invited us to stop in, and Pastor Legault said, okay, I've not met them, but I'm going to take, uh, uh, take them in on your recommendation. So I show up here, and Brother Caleb, who we'd, we'd already become fast friends after, uh, before then, he said to me, he said, now listen, I stuck my neck out for you. Don't mess it up, amen? And, uh, and so we just, we just gathered together that night, and, uh, and we worshiped God together. And there's a sweet spirit in this place. And I said, well, there's a place I'd like to come back to. And, uh, and the Lord's allowed us now this the second year in a row. We've been able to be here in the fall and, um, and, and spend some days together just worshiping God, just opening the precious Bible and letting the Spirit of God speak to our hearts. And uh, well, I pray, listen, we went through that little COVID business and I hope that we understood just how precious it is to be able to meet together like this. Don't forget, don't soon forget all the hoops that we had to jump through and all the, all the pressure that was put to bear upon us as God's people gathering together. Because listen, I believe that was just the tip of the iceberg. And you say, well, I thought it was going to get better. Well, the Bible says it's going to get worse. <laughs> So, so we have a little reprieve, and let's be thankful for what we have, and let's be prepared for the next go-around, amen? And um, that we're just going to stay faithful, that we're going to stay obedient to the Word of God, that we're going to stay sensitive, and, uh, and that we're going to stay in love with Jesus. And uh, I believe those things uh, take place, we'll be okay. And, uh, you know, you say, well, thank God we need this freedom uh, in order to worship God. There's places all over this world. They don't have freedom to worship God, but they still worship Him. Amen. And so, listen, we don't need the law of man to worship God. 
Well, speaking of laws, that's what we're going to look at tonight. We, uh, we've been in the book of Leviticus, and uh, we started out by seeing a really kind of overview of the book. And I believe with all my heart this book is geared toward fellowship, that God put these laws together to show His people how they could be in fellowship with Him. And, um, and so that's what we've been looking at. And, and God uh, has made provision just as he made provision for Adam and Eve in the garden, so he makes provision for his people here. And we've seen that even though these laws are not particular to us today, that they are a pattern that we can follow, that when we read these laws, they describe to us the character and heart of God and the nature of God. And so let's not throw the law out because the law is good and holy and just. The law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And, uh, and not just, listen, not just to bring us to Christ in salvation, but to bring us to Christ in fulfillment. Because Christ, listen, he not only came, he not only, uh, we could say, the scripture says that, that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Christ. We understand that and the truth of that. And so the, the Lord came and, and he... Uh, he, he abolished that law by fulfilling it, not by wiping it away. He fulfilled the law. And in fulfilling the law, he pleased his Father. And in Christ fulfilling the law, he's made it possible that we can follow the law of God that he's put upon us. And there is a law. Amen? It may not be exactly the way the, uh, the uh, Israelites' law was, but there's laws in the New Testament. It talks about fulfilling the law of Christ. Galatians chapter 5. And so we understand uh, that, that uh, the, the Lord, when he gave the law to the nation of Israel, he was giving it to them as, as a provision for them to, to keep and maintain a relationship with him and fellowship with him. That's why I gave it. But also, in the law, we not only see provision for the people of Israel, but we see a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not all that we see in the law. We also see a pattern for the New Testament believer to be in fellowship with God. And so, uh, we've looked at uh, uh, Monday night, we looked at how the Lord is, is calling us, or Sunday night we looked at how the Lord is calling us to fellowship He's in the tabernacle. Moses is out of the tabernacle. And by the time you get to Numbers chapter 1, God and Moses are both in the tabernacle. They're fellowshipping together. The Lord's calling us to fellowship. And Monday night we saw that uh, the, the path to fellowship is a call to sacrifice. And we looked at the offerings. And then last night we looked at uh, the priesthood and we looked at a call to service. And this is a, an avenue for us uh, to enjoy fellowship with God. And tonight, I want to look at this, really the remainder of the book of Leviticus, and, uh, and look at the, 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 the law, okay? Look at the law, and we're calling this a call to submission. A call to submission. Now, as our text tonight, we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 11. This is where the uh, particular laws he starts dealing with, laws in particular here in Leviticus 11, and primarily that's what he's going to deal with throughout the book, and we're going to look at them very briefly, chapter by chapter, what these laws covered, but I want us to see the relationship that God wanted them to have to the law, and the relationship that we should have to the law of Christ. Now, in Leviticus chapter 11, we're going to read as our text down uh, verse number uh, 43. We'll start there, and I'll invite you to stand with me if you're able. We'll read verse 43 down through the end of the chapter. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 43. The Bible says, Ye shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creepeth, Neither shall ye make yourselves unclean with them, that ye should be defiled thereby. For I am the Lord your God. 
Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defy yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the beasts and of the fowl and every living creature that moveth in the waters and of every creature that creepeth upon the earth to make a difference between the unclean and the clean and between the beasts that may be eaten and the beasts that may not be eaten. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you, God, for health and strength. Lord, personally, I want to thank you each and every day. I've gotten stronger uh, in my body, and I thank you for that. And uh, Lord, we've come now to this final service of this meeting. Lord, I pray that it would not be the end of the revival. God, I pray that it just be the beginning of the real revival that you want to do in our hearts. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we've had to be here and to look into this precious and wonderful book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus. God, now we pray that as we approach this last portion, as we look at these various laws and, and really the idea of the law, why you gave the law, and, uh, and our relationship to the law, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand Help us, dear God, to uh, not only to understand uh, why you gave it originally, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand why you preserved it so that we could look back upon it and learn from it. And Lord, uh, and learn about you. Learn about uh, the human heart and the nature of man. And learn about the need for God's law to be upon us and uh, upon our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would guide us now into this truth. Lord, help me not to say anything that would be incorrect or doctrinally wrong. Lord, I pray that you would guide me. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. And Lord, I pray that every individual in this place would pray the same thing for themselves. Lord, we pray that Christ would be exalted in our midst. Lord, I pray that we would understand the salvation that we have in him and understand this call to fellowship that you have put out toward us. Lord, I pray that our hearts would yearn to be near to you. Lord, I pray that, that we would desire to walk closely beside you, to really dwell in communion with you. Lord, that we would not uh, be satisfied with just outward show and an outward uh, uh, Christianity, Lord, a form. Lord, I pray that we would desire to be real, and our walk with you to be real, our hearts to be clean, our minds to be purged from the filth of this world, and our hearts to be in tune with the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for all you do. Save the lost. And Lord, reclaim the backslider. Revive the saint. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The Lord here gives us the reason, really... He, he brings it right down to brass tacks, as the saying goes, as why he would, uh, he would give them the law. And, and in verse, verse 44, it's the first uh, instance of this phrase, and it shows up five times in the book of Leviticus. In verse 44, this is what he says, For I am the Lord your God, Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Now listen, when we think of that phrase, I think a lot of times we think, okay, God is saying, here's a standard, and I want you to reach that standard. And, and certainly we could come away with that idea when we read this, but I believe what's more attuned to the heart of God and the purpose of God is he's saying, I am holy, Therefore, I want you to be holy so that we can fellowship. Not so that, not so that I can say, look what I did with, with these people, and I, I, really, uh, I really changed them, and I really made them something, and you can stand in awe of the standard that they've reached. No, it's a more personal desire that God has. He wants us to be holy because He wants to fellowship with us, and He cannot fellowship with unholiness. 
Habakkuk tells us, God says, he's of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. He cannot dwell with unholiness. And so the call for God, why God has has provided uh, his word to us, is so that we can be holy, so that we can fellowship together. From the very beginning, God created man to fellowship. And that's why we're here. We're here for his pleasure. And so so he created us to fellowship. Sin got in the way. We see that with Adam and Eve. When sin entered, the fellowship was gone. And so now, here we are thousands of years later. God has redeemed the people from Egyptian bondage. And now he wants to set them in a place and set uh, 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 set a law among them that will put them in the best position to fellowship with him. So, as we mentioned, God is not trying to control their life. He's trying to enrich their life. He's trying to put them in a place where they could fellowship together. Now, these laws that God gives, they are varied. They are just about anything you could think of. God's got it covered somewhere in his law. I'm told, I've never counted them all, but I'm told that there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament law. That's a lot of commandments. We think we're doing good if we keep 10. And nobody's ever kept them. So there's a lot more than 10, right? And so God gives these laws, but but he, he has an idea of in every area of life... God has an opinion, and he has, he has a right way of doing it, and there's a wrong way of doing it. And right and wrong, just the concept of right and wrong has almost been kicked to the curb entirely in our culture. In our culture now, if it feels right, it is right. And nothing could be further from the truth. God knows what's right, and God knows the best way to live life. And so he's setting down his law. Now, I'm, I'm going to move quickly through these chapters and just briefly talk about what, he's, what, what laws he's dealing with. In chapter 11, we mentioned this uh, briefly last night, he gives them laws concerning their food, and he gives them laws concerning uh, uh, touching, tasting and touching, and things that would make them unclean. And, uh, and laws, how to get themselves clean if they became unclean. And so there are the laws there. In chapter 12, he deals with motherhood and birth. And uh, there's laws regarding that. In chapters 13 through 15, we have the laws regarding leprosy. And, uh, and there's very instructive passages in that passage of Scripture on leprosy. We know leprosy is a type of sin. And so God had laws. Did you know that the house could get leprosy? And the clothes, not just the people, but everything that came in contact with that person who was infected with leprosy could become infected. And it's a picture of just how sin spreads so easily. And so God had laws regarding it. In in chapter 16 is the law uh, regarding the Day of Atonement. And what a powerful and blessed uh, chapter that is regarding the atonement of the people and a wonderful picture of Christ. And then in chapter 17, we have laws regarding the place of sacrifice. In other words, the Lord, the, the Lord is saying, you can't just sacrifice and, and, and do an offering anywhere you want to do it. It's only acceptable in the place that I shall choose. And, uh, and listen... You say, what is that about? That's a picture, I believe, of the local church. You say, well, I got something to offer to God. Well, God's got a place for you to offer it to Him. And it's not your backyard. Amen. Well, I'll move along. Because I think I made my point. Chapter 18, he deals with modesty and propriety in relationships. Chapter 19, there's various laws he deals with 
in chapter 19 and, uh, and regarding their life in Canaan. Once they got in Canaan, these are the laws they had to observe about all different aspects of life. Chapter 20 deals with immorality. Yes, the Lord had something to say about that. Can I say this? He still has something to say about it. Fornication is still a sin. Adultery is still a sin. Sodomy is still a sin. Amen. And then, and then in chapter 21 and 22, he revisits laws regarding the priesthood. In chapter 3, there's a fascinating chapter on the seven feasts. And if you've never studied the feasts, uh, you, ought to, you ought to study those feasts. So much truth packed in those seven feasts that God had set aside in each calendar year for the Israelites to observe. And there's so much uh, truth regarding not just their deliverance and their life in Canaan, but also pictures of eternity and the kingdom. Then in chapter 24, he deals with the care of the tabernacle, how it was to be moved, who was in charge of what, and all the pieces of the tabernacle. There's also laws regarding blasphemy. Then in chapter 25, there are laws regarding their calendar, the Sabbath year, the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years was a year of Jubilee. There was laws regarding the inheritance for lands, and, and, uh, and all of those things are covered in chapter 25. Then in chapter 26, he kind of wraps up the book. And he wraps it up with promises, warnings, and, and, and an ending in chapter 27 regarding dedicated things. And then he closes out the book with a law on tithe. Just to be a blessing to us. Amen? And so, you say, why cover these things? Why go over this? Well, I just want us to see that God was interested in every aspect of their lives. Now listen, look up here. If you're saved by the grace of God, you're not just saved on Sunday. You're not just a child of God on Wednesday night. You're not just, you're not just a child of God at church. You're a child of God 24-7. And God is just as interested on what you do Monday as He is on Sunday. Amen. Amen. And so the idea here is that God has, God has a, a perfect will for our lives. God has laws to help us, to guide us in our lives. And there's ways that we can please God. And, 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 and this is the idea. He gives them the law. He wants to help them to live a life that's pleasing to Him, to live a life of holiness so that He can be in fellowship with them. Now, as we mentioned last night, the law is the written record of God's nature. You want to know what God is like? Read the law. You say, why, why is that? What, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, throughout the scripture, and we read it uh, tonight in Leviticus 11, go back there in verse number 47, he says this, to make a difference between the unclean and the clean. You know what God is saying? He said, I want you to know that there is a difference between the clean and the unclean and that I'm going to define what is clean. And if I think something is clean, then I want you to think it's clean. If I think it's unclean, then I want you to treat it unclean. God is teaching His people His character and His nature. And we see this as we look at the law of God. We, we see these and, and we read through it and we think, well, that's kind of odd and that's kind of curious. And there's a lot of things we may not understand. But one thing he wants us to know is that his law is right. And that his law defines what is clean and unclean. And that we need to make sure that we make that defining line between what is clean and unclean and uphold God's law in that regard. It teaches us God's holy nature. 
And, and, uh, and, and as I was looking at this and, and kind of thinking about the idea of, of the law, um, I was researching, I found in, in Worcester, Massachusetts, um, Worcester, that's where my wife was born, as a matter of fact, but in Worcester, Massachusetts, the old courthouse, above the, above the doors on the courthouse, there was this phrase, and it's still there even though they've moved the courthouse somewhere else. The old building's still there. And this is what the phrase says above the door. It says, obedience to the law is liberty. Obedience to the law is liberty. Now listen. To fallen nature and fallen man, that doesn't make sense. We think freedom and liberty is when we can do whatever we want to do. That's what we look at as liberty. As a matter of fact, there's a whole push today in our, in our nation that really that it wants to attack anything that represents any kind of law as being bad, as being something that hinders or is an enemy to liberty. But as you look at the Word of God, you see that without law, there cannot be liberty. Without law, there is anarchy. Without law, there is chaos. Without law, there is bondage. Man thinks that, that liberty is being able to do whatever he wants, including sin, because that's what fallen man always wants to do. To indulge in sin, that's true liberty. But fallen man is deceived. The greatest enslaver ever known to mankind is sin. Sin is an enslaver. Sin puts you in bondage. And listen, when, when they were in Egypt, they were under bondage. They had a hard taskmaster set over them. You know what they didn't have? They didn't have the law of God. They didn't have the law of God in Egypt. God gave it to them after they left Egypt. And so to say, well, if we just didn't have these laws, then we could live in, in freedom and in liberty. No, without the law of God, you're in bondage. And so when we look at the law, we need to look at it properly and say, listen, the law is not a burden, the law is a blessing. Look in chapter 26 of Leviticus. We're laying a little groundwork and then we're going to get our message. In chapter 26, I mentioned that in chapter 26 and 27, he kind of wraps it up. And I want us to see here this idea that obedience to the law is liberty. Now, in Leviticus 26, look what it says in verse number 13. The Lord speaking, he says, I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that ye should not be there, what? Bondmen. And I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. Now, you know what? Man, man looks at the law of God and says, oh, it's a yoke. It's a heavy burden. God looks at it and says, no, no, I broke the yoke. The heavy burden was the burden of sin. And the yoke of bondage was the yoke of sin. And I broke that yoke. And I made you to stand upright. You're not under that bondage anymore. You have been made free by the power of God. That doesn't mean that you're free to just do whatever you want to do. It means you're free so that you don't have to do what you used to do. 
This liberty, the Lord says, I, I, look what I've done. I'm, I'm your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I broke the, 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 bond, the bands of your yoke. I made you go upright. He says, this law I'm giving you, it's not a burden, it's a blessing. But as I, as I think about the, this law and, and, and man's relationship to the law, the first part of Leviticus chapter 26, he lays out the blessings that he will bestow upon them if they will obey the law. Look, look what it says in verse 1. Ye shall make you no idols, nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up an image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If ye walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season. The land shall yield her increase. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. It goes down through there, verse 6, he says, I will give peace in the land. Verse 9, I will have respect unto you. Verse 11, I will set my tabernacle among you. And verse 12, he says, I will walk among you and will be your God and ye shall be my people. You know what he's saying? I'm giving you these laws so that we can fellowship Together. I got you out of Egypt because I wasn't going to Egypt. I'm not living there. I'm not dwelling there. A lot of churches, so-called churches today, they look like Egypt. God's not getting anywhere near that place. So I want to bring you out of there and I want to give you, put you in a land that I'll give to you and if you'll go, uh, obey my law and keep my law, then we can live there together. We can fellowship together. We can enjoy one another's company. We can have a life of fruitfulness together. But you've got to keep my commandments. Now, in the latter part of Leviticus 26, beginning in verse 14, he says this, But if you will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that you break my covenant, I will also do, uh, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror. Verse 17, I will set my face against you. Verse 18, I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Verse 19, I will break the pride of your power. And I will make heaven as iron and your earth as brass. Verse 21, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. Verse 22, I will, uh, I will also send wild beasts among you. 25, I will bring a sword upon you. I will send pestilence among you. 28, I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. Pastor Kenny and I were talking today about this idea of God walking contrary to us. And, and, and he mentioned that, that those who walk in pride, he will abase. And those who will not humble themselves to God, that he, he will resist. God says he'll resist the proud. That's God being contrary to us. And it's all hinging upon whether we obey or disobey the commandments. Now before you say that's an Old Testament truth, I just quoted you New Testament scriptures. God has not changed. God is still the same. Listen, you cannot walk in disobedience to the commandments of God and expect to be in fellowship with God. We are deceived by this new idea that's being pumped out behind so-called pulpits in our, in our nation. And, and, and listen, our, our biblical foundation has almost been completely wiped away in this nation. We think, 
that we can do whatever we want to do and God's okay with it. We sit back and we say, well, why doesn't God send revival? How in the world? Why, why, why aren't we seeing a great move of God in these days? As if it's some mystery. And God's people, listen, by and large, God's people, so-called, are walking the way of the world. They're being, they're being dictated to by their flesh. And we wonder, where's God? God hasn't changed. If you're going to walk contrary to His commandments, He's going to walk contrary to you. Now, when we consider a man's relationship to the law, I want us to see there's, there's a three-step progression that should take place between the believer and God concerning the law. Now, the first step, the beginning, the beginning is laid out here in chapter 26 where God gives the warnings and the cautions and He says, listen, if, if you go against my law, I'm going to send terror to you. The Bible says in Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So when we look at the law of God, our first relationship with the law is dread and fear. You say, well, we shouldn't fear the law. Well, we should fear the God who gave the law. Why? Because that's where wisdom begins. As a matter of fact, that's where the relationship to God really begins. Fear. Let me illustrate to you. If you have children, and, uh, and you, know, you get them in this sweet little bundle, and they're so cute. And they're so precious. And, and you, can't, you can't believe that they'd ever do anything wrong. But yet they do. I mean, right out of the gate, they're doing wrong. And so you try to teach them, you know. But what I found out with 11 children is I found out this. You can't really reason with them when they're real small. They don't understand. And you want them to understand so badly, but they don't understand. They don't, they don't understand the Bible. You know, read the Bible to them. That's great, but they're not getting it yet. So you try, well, I'm going to read the Bible to them. Okay, that doesn't work. I'm going to bring them to church. Well, that doesn't work. They're still sinning. What are we going to do? How do we get them to understand right and wrong? Well, there's something that they do understand. You ready? Pain. They understand pain. Now, some of you are shocked. Okay, take off your, take out your American mindset and lay it aside and grab your Bible mindset and plug it in. They understand, fairly young, not right away, but it takes a while. They understand, fairly young, that a, a certain thing, a certain pattern of behavior brings about consequences. They understand that. And they start fearing the consequence, and so it helps them, it helps shape their behavior. The fear of dad and mom is the beginning of wisdom. Right? 
I, I have four older brothers. My, my, we didn't have any sisters. And a good thing, I don't know if they'd have made it. But there's five of us boys. And uh, my oldest brother is seven years older than me. So five of us in seven years. God bless my dear mother. Mom's about this tall. Maybe a little taller. And she's Chippewa and Scottish. I'm just thankful I got hair. Mom was a firm disciplinarian, and I thank God for it. I didn't like it at first. And, and dad, dad, he didn't have patience, really. It just took longer to get him to really get motivated to correct us. But it's kind of like a volcano. It builds and builds and builds and builds. And then you just do just this tiny little thing wrong. And here comes the lava. Boom! I feared my dad. I feared my mom. So I don't think a child ought to fear their parents. It didn't mean well. We got it mixed up today. Today, the parents fear the children. You know what that is? That's the judgment of God. Because God said, you go against my commandments, I'll set children over. Children will be your rulers. Well, we're living there. I'm afraid who Junior might call. He's got to get to the phone first. Amen. My dad told me, because he heard some, somebody other, some, some other parent in the church, they said, well, you know, my kids, they threatened to call social services if I administered discipline to them. Dad said, he gathered us boys, he said, you can call social services. He said, but it's going to be, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes before they get here. <laughs> that was a good enough deterrent for me. I saw what my dad could do in just two or three minutes. I didn't want to see 45 minutes of that. You know what that was? That was the fear. The fear of dad and mom. It kept me out of a lot of trouble. Come on, old timers. Help me out here. Kept us out of a lot of trouble. The fear of the Lord's beginning in wisdom. You know, he's telling the people, you better keep my commandments, or I'm going to come down there and I'm going to give you a whipping. So, well, you know, you ought not to obey out of fear. That's a good place to start. You know why? Because you're not spiritually mature enough to obey for any other reason. This, this is what I, all through the Old Testament, I'm trying to get to my second point. All through the Old Testament, God would send, the children of Israel get in, in trouble, they go to idolatry or immorality, or they get in sin somehow, and God would send prophets to them to warn them. Right? You need to turn from your wicked ways. You need to stop your sinning. You need to get right with God. Why? Because God wants to be in fellowship with you. And He's not going to fellowship with you when you're involved in filth and you have other gods before Him. Amen. And so He would warn them. And you know what happened? Nothing. They wouldn't change. And they tried to send spiritual messengers to Him. And they didn't get the message. You know why? Because they weren't spiritually mature. They weren't spiritually in tune. God sends a spiritual message to a carnal mind, and he misses it completely. So you know what the Lord does? He touches them where they feel it. He will get your attention if you're his child. All it should take is a word. All it should take is a warning. 
But many times, we're so out of touch with God, spiritually, we don't hear the warning. And so he's got to take us to the woodshed. And, he's, and there has to be some affliction come our way, or some trial come our way, or some problem come our way, and then all of a sudden, hey, God, where are you? He's right where he's always been. So if God has to deal with you just through dread and fear, he will. And that is the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God to stop you because you're on a path of total destruction. It's the mercy of God to, to say, hey, you better pay attention. If you don't keep my law, things are going to get rough between me and you. That's God's mercy. That's not hatred. Whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth and chasteneth every son. You know, if... The Bible tells us clearly, as parents, if we don't correct our children, we hate them. Well, I just can't correct my child. I, just, I love them too much to correct them. You have been influenced somehow, some way, somewhere, away from the truth. Because if you love them, you will correct them. You know why? Because you know if they continue on that path, they're going to destruction. The fear of the Lord, the beginning. Man's relationship to the law, the beginning is dread and fear. And so those little ones, you know what they do? They learn to obey because they're afraid not to. Right? That, when I was young, that's why I did what, God, what, what, what uh, Dad told me to do. Not because I wanted to, but because I was afraid what would happen if I didn't. That's missing in a lot of children's lives these days. And they're worse off for it. I don't care if you agree with me or not. You're wrong. The Bible's right. So in the beginning, in our relationship to law, we obey because we're afraid not to. This is what I call scared obedience. Scared obedience. You, be, you obey because you're scared not to. But then there comes this next step in life. And this next step, you see, the end of, of Leviticus 26, look what it says in verse 40. He's talking about, in verses 14 through 39, he's talking about if they disobey the judgments that will come. And in verse 40 it says, If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that they have walked contrary to, unto me, and that I have also walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if the, then their, heart, their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob. And he goes on down through there, and he said, I'll bring them back in the land, and I'll establish them back in the land. This is... This is uh, when, when, when our children, when they realize, now, okay, we realize we, we better obey because we're going to get hurt if we don't obey. And by the way, that's not just a principle for when they're little. If they don't get that principle at when they're little, it'll happen to them later in life. And then it's going to be handcuffs. Then that's going to be a lot harder for them to learn that principle. You, they obey because they're afraid not to. But now, they've, they, after they've gone through that stage and they've seen the, the pros and cons of, of obeying versus disobeying, now they understand, okay, it's beneficial for me if I, if I live by the, by the word of God, by the law of God. This is the next step in, in, in our relationship to the law. At first, it's dread and fear. Now, it becomes duty. Okay, I've got a job to do, and I need to do this and, uh, because I realize that if I do this, this thing, then my life is going to be better than if I don't. And as we grow older, we do learn how to work the system don't we? 
Oh, yeah, we do. Me and my brothers, we knew how to work the system. We understood there's certain things we don't let dad and mom know. And we understand, okay, we work out this little sibling uh, agreement. Okay, if you tell mom that, I'm telling her this. Right? We know how to work the system. We understand that conforming to the law is beneficial to our lives. That life is easier when you live according to the law. And so, and so for many people, they move from fear and dread and they move over into duty and formalism. You say, what's that? What's formalism? That is, you conform to the rule. You make sure that, that the dress is right. You make sure that the words are right. You make sure that the schedule is right. You make sure that all of the things and all the points in the law where God says you've got to do this or you're in trouble, you make sure that you do those things. But it's still not what God's looking for. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Look with me there. Let me show you somebody who checked all the boxes, but still was not pleasing to God. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing of his formal, former life. This is what he says. Verse number 3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Why? He, he, he explains. Circumcised the eighth day. Where did, where did he learn to do that? In the law. Right? Of the stock of Israel. That's God's people. Of the tribe of Benjamin. That's one of the two tribes that stayed faithful to the line of David. Is that right? And Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Now, before you think, well, Pharisee, that's a bad thing. Of all the sects and, and divisions of the Jewish religion, the Pharisees are the ones who believe the law. They took the law literally. The other ones didn't. And so he's saying, I was a conservative of the conservatives. I was the religious of the religious. Now look at verse 7. He says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. You know what he's saying? All of these things... That, that looked like gain and looked like I was, I was abiding by the law of God, all of those things were unprofitable to me. He said, wait a minute, I thought keeping the law, that was going to put them in a place where they could be in fellowship with God. Yes, but being in fellowship with God was not in those things. So he's got all these things going for him. He's got all these boxes checked. And yet there's still something missing from, from Saul's life. There's still something that, that there's just something missing. There's something that, that he's not fulfilled. He's got the duty down. He's got the form down. He's doing right. Because he knows that in doing right, he's not going to suffer the, 
the, the bad things, and he's going to enjoy the benefits and the blessings of doing right. And that, that seems good, but there's still something missing. See, when you obey in this way, you're obeying because you see the benefit of obedience. This, this is, it's not scared obedience, but this is what I call surrendered obedience. So that sounds like where we need to be. Now there's something better. Obeying because you're afraid of what will happen to you, that's the start. But God doesn't want you to end there. Obeying because you see the benefit of living according to God's law, that, that's, that's a good progression, but that's not where God wants you to end up at. You say, what's the end? Well, look at, look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. You're in the New Testament already. Just turn a few pages over, 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy 1, and look at verse number 5. It says, now the end of the commandment, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. So what does he mean when he's saying the end of the commandment? He's saying this is where the law is supposed to lead you to. The law, the, the, the end, the goal, the, the, the purpose of the law is to bring you to a point where you're serving God, not because you're afraid of what will happen, not dread and fear, not duty and formalism, but the end of the law is that you would serve God out of devotion and faithfulness. You're not, you're not keeping God's law or walking in God's law because you're afraid of what God might do to you. You're not keeping God's law because you've learned, you know, if I just keep God's law, things go smoother. But you're keeping the law of Christ in your heart because you are devoted to Him. It's devotion. In, in Leviticus 27, I don't want you to turn back there, but in Leviticus 27, he deals with devoted things. There were things that would be sanctified, set apart for the work of God, but, but you could redeem them. If you wanted them back, you could pay the price and then some and redeem those things back, those things that were sanctified to God. But he said, if you, if you have devoted them to God, you can't get them back. Because devoted things cannot be redeemed back to self. They've been given up. Now, it's, it's not required. It's not required that you devote those things. It's a willful thing to devote those things to God. It's from the heart of devotion. You want God to... You, you, listen... You are submitting to God. You say, well, isn't surrender and submitting the same thing? No, it's not. Surrendered obedience, when, when an army surrenders, it's because they can't fight anymore. Is that right? Well, we've given up because we can't withstand the onslaught that's come against us. So we're going to surrender because we have no other recourse. So here's the white flag. We surrender. That's not what God's looking for. I'm telling you, that is not what God's looking for. He's not trying to overcome you and you give in because you can't fight anymore. That's not what He's after. It's not a battle to Him. He's trying to woo your heart. He's trying to draw devotion from you. And devotion is not surrender. Devotion is submission. When you submit, you're saying, I'm willfully 
willingly putting myself under the authority of another. Surrender is against your will. Submission is with your will. And listen, what God is looking for, listen, young people, I know I've taken a long time to get this point across, but listen, God is not looking for you to just, under the pressure of his law, you just crumble under the pressure and say, okay, okay, uncle, I give up. It's not what he's looking for at all. He's never looked for that. You know what he's always looked for? For you to say, Lord, here's my heart. Here's my life. You got me out of Egypt. You redeemed me. You forgave me. You blessed me. You're wonderful. There's no fault in you at all. And Lord, as a desire, as a token of my desire, to be near to you, here's my heart. Here's my life. I'm submitting to you. I'm submitting to you. The law was never about coercing people to obey God. It was always so that we would see his way is best and we would understand those laws were put there to protect us. From who? From Egypt, from the devil, from ourselves. Once you see the law of God as his love to you, then his commands, his commandments are not grievous. The end of the commandment is charity. You know what he says in verse 9 in 1 Timothy? He said, knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous man. What do you mean? Well, I mean this. He means this. When you're devoted to God, you don't need the law. When you serve God because you love him, God doesn't have to hang the law over top of your head. Now listen, when I, I told you, when I was a kid, I was afraid of my dad. I obeyed because I was afraid of, that he might hurt me. You know what now? My dad's 76 years old. I'm going to see him tomorrow. I still fear my dad, but I don't, I'm not afraid of him hurting me. If I break the law, I'm afraid of me hurting him if I break the law. If we can get there in our relationship with God, and it's not that we're so afraid that God's going to hammer us down, but we're afraid that we might break his heart, That's devotion. That's the end of the commandment. It's not a grievous thing to live under God's law for your life. It's a blessing. Heavenly Father, we love you because you first loved us. Lord, I, I can look back over my life and even seems like in a course of a week I can fluctuate between all three of these positions. Obeying the law out of dread and fear. Obeying the law through duty. But Lord, I want to be over there where it's devotion. Because I've lived long enough to understand that 
dread and fear will not sustain me in obedience to your law. Sinful man will think, well, I can get away with it. Duty and formalism, that won't carry us through. We can look through Israel's history. So many times they fell into those two categories and they could not sustain fellowship with you because it wasn't possible. Fellowship can only be achieved through devotion. God, I pray tonight a simple call to submission. Lord, I pray that we would willingly offer our heart, our soul, our mind, our life to your wisdom, to your law, to your will. May we understand that your way is always best. Lord, I pray that we would serve you from a heart of love for all that you've done for us, all that you are to us. In Jesus' name I pray.